The idea of God walking among us is one that's not familiar in popular culture, but for children of the 90s, in 1995, there was a song released called One of Us by someone called Joan Osborne. And it asked that very question, what would it be like if God was one of us, if God was, God was just a normal person? In many ways, if you listen to all the lyrics, what you find is, you know, it's actually irreverent and she doesn't really understand it at all. And yet, there's other lyrics in that song which get to the heart of the truth of what that might be, more than she could have ever, ever really have known or envisaged. Listen to these. If God had a name, what would it be? And would you call it to his face? If you were faced with him in all his glory, what would you ask if you had just one question? Here in John, this first chapter of John, we see, we see the answer to our questions. We see, what would it be like for God to be one of us? What, we see what it was like to actually talk directly with God, to eat bread with him, to experience his miraculous power, to... To hear Jesus' words as he describes the very mysteries of God in a way in which no one had ever heard before and no one will ever hear again. Certainly not on earth. There's a directness to the way Jesus speaks. An authority, an ability to cut through everything we know. Everything we know about ourselves such that by the time he's spoken to us we're questioning everything we know about ourselves. and We wonder what's true and what's not true anymore. And indeed we see that if, in just a few chapters on, if we looked at chapter 4, verse 29, you don't need to turn to it, but it says this. A woman, she has that same experience of Jesus I've just described, and she says this. She says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. And this morning we're going to reflect on that idea, that idea of Jesus becoming one of us. Jesus walking among us. And firstly, to do that, we're going to look at verse 12, which says this. It says, but to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Just take that verse in. If today you've received Jesus, if you've believed in him, then you're a child of God. Just think about it a different way, right? If I were to ask you, what does it mean to be a Christian, what would you say? You might talk about forgiveness. You might talk about repenting of the things you've done wrong. You might talk about the relationship you've got with Jesus. But would you say, I'm a child of God? Is that how you'd answer that question? And it's, it's crazy how, when we think about our childhood, our birth, and you know, everything right at the beginning of our lives, how much of an impact that has on us. If someone, no one's ever asked me this question, maybe one day they will, but if someone asks me, who am I? <laughs> See if people are never going to ask me that. I'm going to tell you the answer now, right? My thoughts, right? What you think about, it immediately turned to, for me, it turned to my childhood in Warrington, okay? It turned to, I went to a school called Birchwood Community High School, and I went to a college called Priestley College. I think about my brother, my sister, my parents. I even turned to the values that they brought me up with, which, you know, seemed so instilled. And as I've got older in some ways, I've, in, you know, in, in some ways tried to distance myself from elements of that, tried to reinvent myself. I <laughs> softened my accent. I took the, the bright, I used to have a bright white and yellow Helly Hansen jacket, which has now been replaced. I, I mean, if you looked on my chair, you'd see a black quilted barber jacket. 
the epitome of good taste. The, I've actually, it's interesting, we, me and Han were watching a program and we came up with a new idea that instead of, instead of saying it was location, location, and um, they were describing Warrington as North Cheshire. So now instead of saying I'm from Warrington, I can say to people, I, I, I actually was brought up in North Cheshire, which sounds somewhat different. And when I went to university, I found out that a whole load of the things that happened in Warrington weren't actually, didn't actually really exist in a lot of other places. And one example of that is what I thought was, what in Warrington gets counted as gen, you know, just normal banter. In, in university, to Southerners gets, gets kind of perceived as like outright abuse. So <laughs> I'll give you an example. It turns out at Russell Greek University, this is a tip for you guys, right? If you go and say to someone the hair looks like a bird's nest, that is, it doesn't go down well. In Warrington, that's just standard practice. I, t I remember the first day I turned up and, you know, everyone's wearing, everyone, you know, everyone's wearing the best clothes, right? because he's trying to impress. And I had, I can still remember now, the white hoodie with dark blue tracksuit pants. If it's, if it's modern, right, it'll be black, because people wear all black now. But back, back in the day, colours were in, right? Now, what I hadn't realised was it turns out everyone else seemed to be wearing what, to my mind, looked like fancy dress. Bright trousers, boating shoes. Quit, they had, the lads had these quiffs with blonde dreadlocks and they had what I call now called gap year sunglasses. I thought in Warrington all we had for weather was a hood that we put up when it rained. It got so bad this idea of not fitting in. One year I had a knock on the door. Opened it. And someone said to me, Can I borrow your green Adidas tracksuit? And I thought I can smell a rat here because these southerners have not all of a sudden adapted to tracksuits. I said, why do you want it? He said, because it's a bad taste party. <laughs> but isn't that just the way, right? So these, you know, these potentially amusing anecdotes, the, what sits behind them is actually the pain of not fitting in. See, we're born to a set of values which they kind of run through our blood. And either, there's two things that happen. Either one, they leave us enslaved to a way of life that we can't really escape. Or they leave us feeling like an outsider, looking in on a world to which we don't really belong, but, you know, we, we long and yearn that we do. The programme Keeping Up Appearances, another 90s reference, right? Apologies to anyone who was born after 1982. Um, it, speak, it speaks to right British snobbery, right? They, they need to fit in it. It jokes around with this idea of pretending to be someone we're not. It speaks of the exhaustion we face as we keep up appearances in the hope that no one will know, that no one will see that, find out that we just don't fit in. And yet, as Christians, we have no room for that. Our identity is a grief for men and women. It's not just that we're a grief for men and women who've experienced God's grace. Of course it is. Of course it is, but it's not just that. It's not just that we meet here as a group of people who've experienced God's forgiveness and have a set of shared beliefs. Whilst, of course, that's true. Of course it is. Now, you see, what you see here in John's Gospel is that we're united by our birth. We're united by our spiritual childhood 
birth, by being born again. John goes into this in more detail if we look in verse 13. It says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of man, so not of the will of flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. If you were to look through John's Gospel, you'd see this theme being picked up again in the later chapters, and it gets picked up particularly with a Pharisee called Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is speaking to Jesus, or Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus about the idea of being born again, and Nicodemus just can't get his head around it. He says this, he says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be be born? Well, of course, look, we know Jesus isn't talking about this kind of physical rebirth. That would be ridiculous. He's, he's talking about a spiritual rebirth. Of course he is, right? A spiritual rebirth. But if, if as a Christian, having been born again, having had this rebirth, is just, is just a spiritual blessing of a personal rebirth, if that's what it is for me, if that's what it is for you, you you've not grasped it, I've not grasped it. We haven't got, if that's how we feel, if that's how I feel, we haven't got our heads around the enormity of what it means to become God's children. Look again at verse 12 and 13. It says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Can you see from these verses, being, being born again is something we share together. It doesn't say in these verses, um, doesn't refer, John doesn't refer to you becoming a child of God. He refers to us becoming children of God. And in this first chapter of John, what he's actually doing is he's setting up all the themes that he then expands on throughout the book. And by chapter 17, Jesus is praying to God, and this is what he says. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. So how does John start in chapter 1 talking about children of God? And by 17, he's talking about unity and oneness. And the way in which has previously only been described or experienced within the Trinity itself. How is it possible for Jesus to ask that believers can share the very same oneness that he has with his Father? The answer's back here, isn't it? It's, in, it's, it's simple. It's in chapter 1, verse 12. We're children of God. We share our birth, we share our father. It may be that your background's held you back. It may be that you feel like an outsider. It may be that you question who you really are. Well, this morning that burden comes off. It comes off me and it comes off you. It comes off because Jesus takes it off. For all of us are our birth, our parents, background, upbringing, our lives, everything that matters to us. 
it's not defined by who we are, it's not defined by who we want to be, it's not defined by our upbringing, it's not defined by our skin colour, our class background, our preference, whatever preference we can happen to have or feel. It's defined by becoming children of God. It doesn't matter whether I grew up in Warrington or Tunbridge Wells. I mean, imagine if I'd grown up in Tunbridge Wells. It would be very different. But my birth, our birth, it's nothing to do with a physical place, right? We are united. We are united not by a set of words, not actually even by a set of beliefs. We're united by truth. The revealing of Jesus, knitting us all together, all of us together, by his death, by his incarnation and here at Egbeth Community Church we have one background we have one father we have one truth we're the children of God reborn into his kingdom we'll move on to my second point I've only got two points just to kind of warm you up in terms of expectations I'm not going to go on for ages verse 14 word of God, the word of God sorry, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us we've seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you ever think, how can it be that Jesus who, Jesus who created the world, that turned all of this, everything you've ever seen, into existence, how, how, can, how can he become flesh? How can he become a man? How could it be that the God of heaven could come down on earth and be one of us. Well, you'll forgive me for all my stories of growing up, but when I was, one story from before I was a Christian when I was growing up, I, I'd become desperate because I knew the gospel was true, but I had no experience of it. I wasn't to the best of my knowledge, wasn't a Christian at that point. And in desperation at my own failings and my own sin and the gap I could see to God, I, I cried out one night. I cried out, I, I don't know the exact words, but there was the effect of God. Where are you? Why am I so bad? And why am I left here doing, you know, why can't... Why does my sin cling to me like this? And I've got no option. Whenever I try to be better, I get nowhere. Do you know what happened in that moment after I'd said those things? Nothing happened. There was no miracle. I just felt the words echo back. I don't know if you've ever shouted outside, but what happens is your voice, it just gets lost. You feel suddenly small. The world feels big. God feels far away. And I've left an empty, an empty feeling inside. How can I ever reach God? How can I speak to him? If he's real, does it even matter if he can't hear me? I don't know, maybe, maybe you've had that experience too. Well, here's the answer. It's here in John chapter 1. 
I didn't know it then, but I know it now. We don't reach God. There isn't a spiritual ladder that we climb to God. No, God, God comes down to us. He comes down in a person. A person like you and me, with blood, vein, guts, and a beating heart. He comes down in Jesus. But we can't, I don't think we can content ourselves with leaving it at that kind of academic level, that kind of idea or concept. I think we have to make it more personal. And to do that, we have to ask a question. And I think the question is this. It's this, it's, why is it that Jesus, being fully God, came down to earth as a man? Why is it Jesus, being fully God, came down to earth as a man? Now, if I was in a connect group right now, there's a very easy textbook, kind of reformed Christian answer you can give to that, and that's this. Jesus came down to earth as a man because he had to be both God and man to become an effective substitute for our sins. Now, that's the kind of answer that will get you a load of nods because it's true. And I'm not for one minute saying it's not true. But why did he walk among us? Why did he breathe the very same breath that I'm breathing now? Why did he live the same experiences I experience now and you've experienced. That's more than substitution. Well, here in John chapter 1, John's just, he's just more personal and intimate in how he describes Jesus than we are. Look at verse 18. It says this, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus is making the Father known to us. God just, he doesn't just want to reveal truths about himself. He wants, he wants us to know him. Forgive me for a little, for way of describing this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give, I'm going to give, this is probably a dangerous thing, I'll give an illustration involving chick flicks because I know 50% of the audience is women and most of the illustrations are football, so I'm going to try and do something dangerous just that happens. Well, the form is basically, it's the same, basically any, you know, any chick flick or love story you, you watch happens to be very similar. There's, there's a, <laughs> there it is to a bloke, probably to women who are different, right? But the, uh, to begin with, the, there's a relationship which is broken, a, essentially a, rom- a potentially romantic relationship, when there's something which is stopping those two people getting together. Um, it could be um, there's a overbearing Greek family that aren't fully persuaded by the love of this young couple. The, I'm trying really hard here, guys. The, um, oh, yeah, the, um, the guy who just needs to find himself first, right? That's got, that's got to cover loads of them. There's always something in the way. And there's always like, then there's like this series of amusing events, things that happen, and in the end they get together. And then you're just left at the end, the credits are rolling down, and it actually what's left to your imagination is to say, how, you know, what does their life together look like? The love story, like, it never reads like this, does it? It's not girl meets boy, boy meets girl, they learn lots about each other, 
After lots of revision, they take an exam about their relationship. They both pass, they live happily ever after. Wouldn't sell many, would it? You wouldn't watch it. But is that... Is there a danger that that's what we've turned... You know, I've turned my Christian life into. We've turned our Christian lives into. You know, instead of... Instead of Bridget Jones's diary, it's Bridget Jones's study manual. Instead of Made in Manhattan, it's become Made in Lectures. Instead of the notebook, it's become the textbook. I'm going to run out of I'll run out of chip. It's quite quick, and if anyone can think of one for the Titanic, tell me afterwards. That would be great. Um, God is so keen for us to get to know Him that He He. He took his fully divine son in human form and sent him to us to walk among us. God's not just written down truths for us to believe. He's taken those truths and he's embodied them in human form. He wants us to know him. Jesus wants us to have a deep relationship with the Father. And this is one of it's one of the themes of John's Gospel. It's picked up again. This is John chapter 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Well, now we're touching on what Jesus' glory really is. He's making known his Father to us. This is a great privilege of being a child of God. You'll all be relieved I don't have a clever illustration for God's glory. Um, I'll spare you that. Um, but I do, I do look at my own Christian life, and I do question, why is it that God's glory doesn't have a greater impact on me? So why is it that my prayer life is formulaic? Why do I read my Bible to alleviate guilt rather than to get to know Jesus more? Why do I come to church? And when I'm coming to church in the morning, I'm looking forward to meeting with friends more than I am to know Jesus more. Why is it, why is it I, you know, look at sins, I just, it's fun, it's the same sin over and over, and over, and over again. What does it take to get my Christian experience, to upscale it from that kind of standard definition experience I've got to the full 8K pitch side experience? How do I get from up in row Z down to the pitch? How do I experience the gospel in a deeper, richer, more meaningful way? Now, it feels like a really complex question, an elusive question, one where if the answer is really obvious or easy, we'd all know it and we all would have done it. But I think the answer is in these pages, the answer is we actually already have the full 8K pitch side experience. We don't need to do anything. We just need to open our eyes and that is to see and hear the Lord Jesus as he's already revealed himself to us. 
This is about using our waking hours not just to know about Jesus, not just to read about him, but to think about him, to absorb him, to treasure him. And I think, I think I need to look again at how I read the Bible, and maybe we all do. Whether listening to a sermon, studying connect group, enjoying a quiet time, simply hearing the words of a Bible, simply reading them, simply finding something new. I shouldn't be content with that, right? I shouldn't be satisfied with that. I shouldn't think I've done my job. I think if I can sit there listening to a sermon and I can nod and write notes, is that really enough? I think I need to be reflecting on God's word, right? I need to be reflecting on Jesus, thinking about how wonderful he is. Knowing about Jesus, it can't be enough, right? Having having a head full of Bible knowledge, you know, it's it's not without any value. But it's not Christian maturity. Jesus became flesh and walked among us that we may know him. Look, I'm I'm nearly done. If you you sat here knowing and you don't know Jesus, if you don't know the God who made you, cry out to him now. You don't need to ask him to reveal himself to you. You don't need to pray one of his prayers saying, God, make yourself known. Because he has made himself known. He's made himself known in the words that we've got here right in front of all of us and in the person of the Lord Jesus who came down. Pray to him instead. Don't pray for him to reveal himself. Pray to ask that you you will receive him into your life and ask that you may be reborn as his child. And if you do know him, what a blessing that is. Like the kid with a winning lottery ticket, gaze again at the perfection you've received. Realise afresh how wonderful Jesus is. Look, last paragraph, right? It's possible this morning that you feel unloved. It's possible that you feel rejected. It's possible that you feel the pain of broken family relationships, broken friendships. It's possible that you feel despair and isolation. Well, if that's you, I want you to realise Jesus felt all of those things too. He came to a world that didn't recognise him, a world that rejected him, a world that didn't receive him, a world that ultimately killed him. But he rose to new life. And to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Let's pray. Dear Father, we we come to you as your children and we realise it doesn't always feel like that. We pray, Lord, that we we would remember it and we would gaze afresh at how wonderful Jesus is and at the joy we can have in him and we wouldn't satisfy ourselves with anything less than joy Lord Amen